Christian Revelations is a completely free podcast for the new Christian looking to learn more about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how to implement His teachings in our lives and the world today. And for the older Christian looking to dig deeper into the Word of God, edification, and the fellowship of the body of Christ. And now our host, Pastor Robert. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm truly grateful for the opportunity to be in your house to worship this evening. It is wonderful to see all these smiling faces here just to worship your name and, and live a life that glorifies your name. I ask that my words be your words, and I ask that what you want me to say touch those who need to hear it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So uh, you guys might need a little time to look this book up, but we are going to be in the book of Habakkuk. That would be in between Nahum and Zephaniah. Hey, anything, anything I can do for you? <laughs> on, on my, on my, in my Bible, it's 1,223. <laughs> I, I didn't actually choose this book. Um, the last morning that I preached, I said, if anybody has a topic or something they want me to preach about, just let me know. And as I was at my buddy's Randy's house, he said, you know what? Nobody ever talks about the book of Habakkuk. So, yes, so it is Randy's fault that you have to scour through the Bible to find a seldomly read book. But it is actually a very wonderful book if you take the time to read it. I also liked that I showed up at this book because it it helps to answer questions my dad often has about why God lets bad things happen. Um, So I got to... Kill two birds with one stone, Randy and my dad. <laughs> yeah, that's why my dad is not here this evening. <clears throat> Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Say, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Sometimes we get impatient with God. We get Amen. frustrated and we wonder why there is evil in the world. Mm-hmm. We wonder why we have problems in our family. We wonder why we get sick. We wonder why we just can't be happy all the time. Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet 
who helps us to move past the mindset of worry and confusion, and he begins to bring us to a mindset of worship and faith. Mm. Most prophets addressed the people about God, but Habakkuk spoke to God about the people. He couldn't understand why God would allow injustice to continue to go on in their country. Confused, he seemed that God was being silent. He asked God why he tolerated such evil. In Habakkuk 1.3, it says, Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. When God responded that he would use the Babylonians to conquer Judah in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, Habakkuk got a little more confused. He wondered how God could use a nation that was more evil than his own to punish Judah. That was not the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. At first, he got no answer, and then he got an answer that he considered to be the wrong answer. He already asked, is God unconcerned? Now he had to ask, is God unfair? How should we react when we get an answer that we think isn't right? Should we complain about it? Should we argue with God? Should we reject him? Habakkuk sets the example for us in, verse two, in chapter 2, verse 1, when he says, I will look to see what he will say to me. It was probably a very wise move on his part to shut his mouth and wait for God to answer him. He wasn't overwhelmed, but he was not overcome. And he took his problem to the Lord and he left it there. Then he waited like a watchman in a tower for God's response. The Lord told him that he would handle the situation and he would handle it without delay. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Sometimes our impatience makes us think God doesn't care. But like Habakkuk, all of us need to learn that God does care and he is always on time. One of the first things God told Habakkuk is that he would deal with the Babylonians because of their pride. In their arrogance, they were not upright. They trusted in themselves and did not trust in God. They had puffed up hearts and they were not righteous and they did not live by faith. In chapter 2, verse 4, we see a phrase that is often overlooked 
and it's easily forgettable in this forgettable book. But it's so significant that the last sentence is quoted three times in the New Testament. Romans 1.17 says, For in it the righteous of God, righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Is that God? <laughs> from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith and not by their cell phone. Galatians 3.11 says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And Hebrews 10.38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is a great reminder to Habakkuk and to us. We must learn to trust the Lord even when we can't understand everything that he knows or understands. That's right. Those who are righteous and the redeemed can enjoy God's rich blessings and security and protection. On the other hand, the ungodly Babylonians faced God's judgment. Their pride led them to drunkenness and greed. Yet the nations they conquered would rise up and in the Bible it says pronounce woe on them. Five times it talks of what is going to happen to the Babylonians. Guilt of extortion they in turn would be plundered. Verse 6 through 8. Guilty in, of injustice in seeking to elevate themselves, they would forfeit their own lives. Guilty of bloodshed and crime, they would gain nothing from their efforts. Guilty of getting others drunk so they could gaze on naked bodies, they would in turn be exposed and filled with shame. Guilty of worshiping idols, they would find that idols are lifeless and useless and that only the sovereign God is alive and worthy of worship. God's point in these verses is very clear. You may not like my answer, but I am in control and I am going to take care of the problem. I'm not indifferent to sin. Yes, I will use the Babylonians to punish Judah but I will also take care of the Babylonians. Evil will not triumph over good. So how should we respond to this reminder of God's sovereignty? By silent worship. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord in his temple is in his temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. Since God is in control, we don't need to worry. Instead of arguing with God, we should stand in awe and worship him in humble silence. After God explained to Habakkuk 
that he would handle the situation, the tone of the book shifts from confusion to praise. In chapter 1, Habakkuk had asked, God, how long? In chapter 3, he responded, God, how great. Recalling what God had done in the past, he said, I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. He asks God to show his great power again, and in doing so, to be merciful to his people. Habakkuk 3.2 says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God's power and glory had been evident in Israel's wanderings through the wilderness, through their crossing the Jordan River, in the defeat of the Gibeonites by having the sun stand still, and in defeating many of Israel's enemies. Habakkuk was affected physically, emotionally, and spiritually by this display of God's invincible deeds. Habakkuk 3.16 says, When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. We should tremble in the presence of God. Habakkuk had questioned the Lord. Now he quivered before him. And this led him to respond with confidence that the Lord would carry out his plans in time. Habakkuk wisely said, I will wait patiently. And as a result, he was full of joy. He said in chapter 318, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 is considered a hymn of praise. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord my God, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Basic fruits might not be available. Basic crops might not be available. Flocks like sheep and cattle might die, but Habakkuk would rejoice in God, knowing that God was his strength. What made the difference between Habakkuk's complaint in 1-2, when he said, How long, O Lord? And in his confidence in 319 when he said the sovereign lord is my strength his desire for an answer from god was satisfied because the problem he saw the problem from god's perspective he recognized that god is in control and circumstances 
did not change, but Habakkuk changed. What began as whining and complaining ended in a song. What started as concern shifted to confidence. He moved from worry to worship. He moved from anxiety to adoration and from frustration to fulfillment. In the 18th century, English poet William Copper overcame depression as he reflected on Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. He wrote these words, Though vine nor fig tree neither, there won't fruit should bear. Though all the field should wither, no flocks nor herds be there. Yet God, the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice, for while in him confiding, I cannot but rejoice. Ecclesiastes 3.4 says, A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. It is clear throughout Scripture that God is good, but it is also clear that we will endure pain, we will fear, we will lose, and we will have heartache. Even though God is immensely good, bad things will happen. So then why doesn't God guard us from our, our weeping and our mourning and our pain and just give us laughing and dancing? Throughout the course of human life, we will experience a full spectrum of human emotions. Ecclesiastes 3.4 confirms that there is a time for each of these emotions, even the bad ones, the ones we don't want to experience. We may never know how God is working through our pain and mourning, but even in the midst of excruciating and unspeakable pain, we can be confident that he is present and active. We can know this because Jesus Christ himself endured pain. In fact, the word excruciating literally means the pain of crucifixion. When we see the unjust, the unfair, the painful, and the excruciating, we can know that Jesus himself experienced that same pain on our behalf. And he did this out of a deep love for us. First Corinthians 15.5 says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? On Easter Sunday of 2019, this, this question by the Apostle Paul became relevant to all of us. As many of us were getting ready in our Sunday best to head to church to celebrate the resurrection, we heard the news that churches in Sri Lanka had been attacked. Nearly 300 people died. We were once again presented with the strange contrast of Christianity. As we celebrate life, we simultaneously mourn death. This is what brings us comfort, that although we mourn, we do not mourn as those with no hope. That's right. 
because of the death and resurrection of Christ, we grieve with hope. And we can say to even the most horrific death, where is your sting? Paul says in Philippians 1.3, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In the deepest struggles of life, and even in death, Paul's joy and desire is for Jesus to be glorified. When we see the world through the lens of eternal life, we are given a new perspective. James 1, 2 through 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Our only true good and our only true joy in this world is found in Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, we see a picture of what he will do. And this is why we have hope. This is why we have joy. This is how we can know God is good. And this is why we are able to face suffering with that hope and that joy. The New Testament book that speaks mostly about joy is the book of Philippians. The irony of this is that it was written by Paul when he was in prison, arrested for the crime of believing in Jesus. This makes the theme of hope and joy all the more extraordinary prior to accepting and following Jesus, Paul had all the things that one would want from life. He was educated, he was respected, admired, and successful. His newfound faith led him away from that type of security and instead brought him beatings, imprisonment, and ultimately death. Yet it is this new life where Paul finds his true joy. And it is there where we will find it. Mm-hmm. Revelations 21.4 says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Amen. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older of things has passed away. There is no answer to our question without looking to the future, without seeing through the prism of God's kingdom, we will not have that answer. Jesus puts it this way in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus himself never answers the question of why bad things happen in this world, other than to confirm that they will continue to happen. He confirms that the world is fallen because we are out of a relationship with God that we were meant to live in. The hope and peace we seek is not found by stopping every bad thing from happening. 
It is not found by stopping all the evil because we can't stop it. Jesus tells us that in this world, you will have trouble. The good we seek lies in the confidence that he has overcome the world. And through his redemptive work, we will one day bring all things back into order. It is only then that every tear will be wiped away and all that is bad will be forgotten. We can keep every evil and every injustice from happening, but we can know that God is good. He is working even when we can't see it. And that one day, all that is good and true will be fully restored. Billy Graham was once asked this question. If God is in control of everything, why do bad things happen to us? This is how he answered it. He said, I've been asked hundreds of times why God allows evil to take place, and I have to tell you honestly, I do not know the answer. Not fully. The Bible talks about the mystery of iniquity. 2 Thessalonians 22.7 says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. That's what evil is. Evil is a mystery. He also says, But let me tell you three important truths about evil that might help you. First, he says the Bible tells us that evil does not come from God, nor can we blame God for all the evils in the world. Evil comes from Satan, and it entered this world when Satan deceived Adam and Eve and caused them to turn against God. Both evil and Satan are real, and the two go hand in hand. Second, he said, the Bible tells us that someday all evil will be banished. The vast spiritual conflict between Satan and God that has raged on from the beginning of time will be over. And God will be triumphant. Someday all evil will be cast into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41 says... Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, Billy Graham says that the Bible tells us that in the meantime, God can give us victory over evil. That doesn't mean that bad things will never happen to us. But even when they do, we can know that God is with us. That's right. And he will give us strength to stand against all evil. He he was asked, isn't it better to face life's problems with God rather than without them? He said, absolutely. We may not understand everything that happens to us, but when we know Christ we know that we are on the winning side. Yes. 
I have a short story about somebody that I know. She, uh, she doesn't come to church because she's mad at God. She uh, believes that all of her prayers were not answered when her mother passed away. But she also freely admits that in her mother's illness, she became a burden on her and her father, and they were preparing to send her to a home. I haven't had this conversation with her yet, but it seems to me that God saw her heart. God knew her pain, and he took her pain away just as he took her mother's pain away. Mm -hmm. Just because the prayers that we have aren't answered like we want them to doesn't mean that they aren't being answered. And sometimes the words that come out of our mouth really aren't the prayers we actually have. Mm -hmm. Sometimes our heart, well, most of the time, our heart speaks louder than our words do, and God sees our heart. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Mm -hmm. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thank you for choosing Christian Revelations. We hope you were just as blessed in receiving the message as we were in preparing and delivering it. As always, we will welcome you back again with open arms, open hearts, open minds, and open Bibles with your host, Pastor Robert, blessings to you all.